So this morning, uh, we're continuing our series uh, in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, and by now your, your Bible should pretty much just flop open at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I knew that mine does. Those are the well-thumbed pages. Um, and for the past number of weeks, we've been in the central section of the sermon, really when Jesus is focusing on what we've called greater righteousness. So Jesus starts by saying that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And what does he mean by that? He means that it's a, in the kingdom, we need a right way of living that's more about what's in our hearts than what's on the outside. A way of living that's genuine, that's not hypocritical. And so first Jesus taught us about greater righteousness in relation to God's laws. We obey God because we love him. And so we saw examples of, of anger and our use of words and marriage and lust. In the kingdom, all these things are motivated by a right standing in God, and they, they come from what's within. It's not just about what we do. And then Jesus taught us about greater righteousness in relation to our devotion to him. And we saw that our lives shouldn't be motivated by earning the approval of other people. It's about doing what we do for God for God. So when we give to the needy, we give out of generosity, not so other people will see us and think highly of us. And the same goes for praying and fasting. We do these things for the right reasons. It's all about our hearts. And then over the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been teaching about greater righteousness in relation to the world around us. And so firstly, that we need to have a right way of living when it comes to how we think about money and possessions. These things shouldn't control our lives. They shouldn't have our hearts. We shouldn't make life decisions based on the love of money. Instead, we seek the kingdom of God first. That's our treasure. That, the, the kingdom of God is our first priority in all that we do and all that we are. And then we trust God to provide all that we need. And then last week, John was here and teaching about greater righteousness when it comes to judging others. That there's a, a worldly way of thinking about this concept that misses the point. That Jesus is saying that we, sh that we should have discernment and evaluate people or situations. And we should do these things in the right way. It's not the way the world says, don't judge me. But actually, we do evaluate and we do judge people and situations with a kingdom mindset. With the realization that, that often our own vision and judgment is clouded. Um, uh, and so we, we, we shouldn't judge others in the same way, knowing that, our, knowing that we can't even see clearly. So why am I telling you this? Why am I recapping pretty much the bulk of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, I'm not just trying to give you an in-depth re in recap, right? Even though that's important, isn't it? But the point of reminding you of all this this morning is, that, uh, is to show you how much ground that Jesus has covered. To show you that the demands of living in the kingdom of God are high. That living in the kingdom, there is a cost involved to living in the kingdom of God, and it's a high cost. It demands your life. Following Jesus costs a lot. To live a kingdom life actually means losing your life. And maybe when you think about living in that kingdom way, Maybe you think, man, that's too much. I can't do that. And you're right. You can't do it. You certainly cannot live a kingdom life based on your own strength. Remember Jesus' very first statement in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
blessed are the poor in spirit. And we need to be really careful that we don't think for a second that we can do this on our own strength. And Jesus says, blessed are those who realize their spiritual poverty. You're blessed when you come to the end of your rope. You're blessed when you come to the end of yourself. Jesus is saying the people who realize their need of God are the people who will enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't work your way in. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. The people who receive the kingdom of Jesus are the ones who simply realize they need him and put their trust in him. And I wonder as we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, have you been feeling this way? Have, you, have these lessons felt like a burden to you? Has this come across like a list of demands that you have to somehow muster up the strength to live up to? Are you trying to, to live a kingdom life in your own strength? I think a lot of us feel this way sometimes, don't we? We feel like we don't do a very good job of being a Christian. We feel like uh, we don't do a very, very good job of living in the kingdom way. And, and then when we fail, then comes the guilt and the shame. And Jesus says, you don't need to do that. You need to let me carry you. You need to give it all over to me. And this is what he's saying in our passage today. Ask the Father for help and help will be given to you. Jesus is saying, I love you. I love you so much and I will supply all your needs. Jesus has just been talking about the need to see other people clearly. And now he's saying, you need to see God clearly. You need to see your Father clearly. And the vision he gives us is really incredible. Jesus reminds us that God is our Father and that he's available to us and that he will provide all of our needs. He gives us every good thing. And so this is our theme today. We have a good Father who meets all our needs. All we have to do is ask him. We have a good Father who meets all our needs. All we have to do is ask Him. Jesus taught this when He taught us to pray, didn't He? He said, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts. The example of Jesus is, is one of asking the Father for what we need. And so we're going to see these three things in our text this morning. We need to consider how we ask what we ask for, and who we ask. Now, let me illustrate that. The other day, I was in the... In the um, and so, of course, when we got to the checkout, he was looking at all the sweets and the lollies and the chocolate and, and all those kinds of things. And I could really tell that he wanted something. And so he, he's very good. He was holding my hand, and he looked up, and he said, Daddy, uh, can I get some sweets? Now... It was about half four uh, in the afternoon, and, and, we were get, and we were actually there to get stuff for dinner, and, and I was on my way home to make dinner, and so I said no. Um, I knew that he was, we were about to have dinner. I also knew that he was going to his granny's house on, 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 in a couple of days' time, and how grannies have no conception of how much sugar you're allowed to give children, apparently. Even though they raise children for their own, they forget all of that, and they just want to keep giving their kids more and more sugar. And so I said, listen, son, you're going to go to granny's house at the weekend, and you're going to have lots of treats there. We're almost having dinner, so let's not get sweets now. Now, think about that for a second. Was there anything wrong with Finley asking me for sweets? No, of course not. He wanted them, and he asked me. 
The only way he could have gotten what he wanted in that situation was by asking Daddy. But think about how he asked me. Does that have any bearing on my willingness to provide for him? He was, he was polite and he said, please. And in most cases when he asked this way, I want to provide for him. And so the how we ask is important. Now think about what he asked for. He was asking for sweets. Really close to dinner time when there was a big treat lined up for him at the weekend. And if he had asked me, Daddy, can I get some broccoli, please? I would have said, yes. I mean, I would have been surprised. <laughs> but I would have said, yes, of course you can, son. Let me get the broccoli for you right now, and we'll take it home, and we'll cook it, and we'll eat it together. What we ask for is important. Now think about who Finley asked. He asked me. He asked Daddy. He knows me. He knows I love him. He loves me. We have a relationship. There's, there's a history there of me providing not just what he needs, but also providing for his joy. And imagine if he had asked anyone else in that shop for sweets. Chances are he wouldn't have got them, would he? Or if he had asked the, 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 the girl behind the checkout, can I have these sweets? Well, the only way you're getting sweets out of that shop is if you pay for them. And so the, the who we ask is important. And these are the lessons that Jesus has for us today. We have a relationship with our Father that we can ask Him for whatever we need. And we know that He is infinitely loving, infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, and infinitely good. We can just ask Him for what we need. But when we look into what Jesus is saying here, we find that it's far more than just whatever I ask for, God will give me. Firstly, we need to consider the how we ask. Look at verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is an invitation to pray. This is an invitation to ask God for what you need. Persistently ask Him for what you need. Ask Him. Go and look for Him. Knock on His door until you get your answer. But this raises a question for me. You know, if, if God knows uh, what we need um, before we do, if He knows uh, even what, if he knows what we need even better than we do, then why do we need to ask, uh, ask already? Because Jesus already told us in the Sermon on the Mount, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And we should be thankful for this, shouldn't we? He's infinitely wise and good and powerful and loving. Think about all the things that He provides without us even asking Him. Are you enjoying that breath in your lungs? Did you have breakfast this morning? What about your health, your relationships, family, friends, your job, education, even our salvation? We didn't, know we, we, we didn't even know we needed Jesus until the Holy Spirit opened our eyes and showed us that we need Jesus. And so we should be thankful that God knows what we need more than we do. And we, and we should be thankful that not only does He know what we need in His infinite love and mercy and grace, He provides everything for us even when we don't ask. But he still tells us to ask 
Why? Well, quite simply, I think from this text it's clear. When we ask God for what we need, we practice the way of the kingdom of God. When we ask God for what we need, we practice the way of the kingdom of God. Think about the context. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. He's going around healing the sick and, 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 uh, and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And remember what we saw earlier. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This just means realizing our need for God. When we realize our spiritual poverty, we receive the kingdom of God. This is the way the kingdom works. It's the ones who have nothing and realize they need God who receive the kingdom. It's the spiritually hungry, the spiritually poor, the spiritually empty who enter the kingdom. Those who realize that they have nothing to offer. And so by realizing our spiritual need and asking God for what we need, we practice the way of the kingdom. We put ourselves under God's rule. We let Him be God. We remind ourselves that He is the one that provides, not us. We say, we say Father, You are God, not me. Everything I have, I only have because You have provided. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at when He uses the illustration of asking and seeking and knocking. All of us at, at different times experience God at different levels, uh, at different degrees of nearness, don't we? So some of you this morning will, will feel really close to God. Some of you will feel really far away from God. And some of you will feel pretty indifferent to God, somewhere in the middle. And Jesus is saying that no matter how much or how little of God's presence you're experiencing right now, you can still come and ask Him for what you need. Imagine, imagine a wee boy in the same room as his daddy and he needs his dad's help. What does he do? He just looks up and says, daddy, help me. But what if daddy isn't in the same room? Well, then the boy has to go looking around the house until he finds him and then he can ask for his help. And what if he goes around the whole house looking for daddy and daddy is in a room with a door locked? Probably the bathroom, let's be honest, because that's where dads go to escape. Dad's in the room with the door locked. Then he comes to the door. He can knock the door. And daddy opens the door. And he says, help me. Of course I'll help you. You see, the point is, no matter how close to you or how far away from God you feel today, if you're a Christian, then you are a child of God. And you can quite simply ask him for what you need. This is the promise that Jesus gives us in verse 8. When you ask, you will receive. When you... Seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open to you. But yeah, let's be honest. There are times when you ask for what you need and it seems like God is silent. You don't get what you ask for. I really want that job. I've been asking for it for ages and someone else got it instead of me. But you've been praying for that rift in your family to be healed for years and it still exists. What's going on there? Well, Jesus used this language of asking and seeking and knocking as a way of telling us to be persistent in our prayer. Is there something you need? Ask him. It's that simple. And keep on asking until you get an answer. 
You see, when, when we Christians pray, we don't just timidly and politely ask once and leave it at that. Jesus invites us to be persistent in our prayers. Ask God, seek God, knock on his door. Each one intensifying. Prayer is this act of pleading with God. It's about lifting our desires to God and asking for him to apply his wisdom. And because we're his children, we can confidently ask him anything. Just like Finley asking me for the sweets. That was his desire in that moment, and he simply asked me. He didn't get the answer that he wanted, but he just felt that he, he knew that he could ask me. So let's not shrink back from asking God. Let's just simply tell him what's on our hearts, what we desire and what we want. See, the Psalms are full of this kind of thing, aren't they? If you read through the Psalms, just people bearing their hearts, sharing their desires, and, and sharing their needs with God. And the truth is, the truth is sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and most of the time, most of the time, he says wait. Isn't that right? Isn't that, isn't that how you feel? Isn't that your experience? If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, isn't that your experience? And the reason our Father does this is so that we will learn to completely and utterly depend on Him. Listen, if all we had to do was simply ask once and, and wait for our provision to float down from heaven, then I guarantee you, I guarantee you that, there, that, there, that it wouldn't take very long before we become self-sufficient, before we would take that provision for granted. But when God makes us wait and tells us to be persistent in asking him. It makes us more and more aware that we need him for everything. You see, it's when you get to the end of yourself that you naturally pray and cry out to God. How much more genuine are your prayers when they come from a place of absolute desperation? Huh? When you, when you realize there's absolutely nothing you can do have you ever been in a desperate situation? You've lost your job. What are your prayers like then? You're in a car, car accident. What are your prayers like then? A loved one is sick. What are your prayers like then? James Deaney, Scottish theologian, said this, only desperation opens our eyes to God's love. I love that. Only desperation opens our eyes to God's love. And so God tells us to wait so that our desperation will deepen and we'll become more and more dependent on Him. And so take, take encouragement this morning. The command to be persistent. If you're in that moment right now where you're being persistent, enjoy, don't enjoy it, but, but keep being persistent because God is calling you to depend more and more deeply on Him. And the command to be persistent isn't because God's not available. We already have the promise that the door will be open to us, but the persistence is for our sake, that we will learn that no matter how long we ask and seek and knock, that we will receive, we will find, and the door will be opened for us. His timing is perfect, you know. God's time's perfect. He knows what you need just when you need it. Sometimes what you're asking for is fine, but your timing is all wrong. Like, like Finley asking me for sweets before dinner. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. 
I'm not that dad. So I tell him to wait. And then when he's eating his dinner, it's my joy to give him the sweets. These are the things that we need. There are things that we need, sorry. There are things that we need that God will only give to us when we pray persistently for them because he wants us to depend completely and 100% on him. But I think there's another reason that God uh, tells us to wait in his timing and be persistent. And that is that persistence purifies our desires. God wants us to ask for the right things. And this brings us on to our next point from the text. We need to consider what we're asking for. You see, there's a, and I want to highlight this, there's a problem in the way that these verses have been used over the years. Some people have taken them completely out of context and used them to preach a message that says, no matter what you ask for, God will give you. And this is called the prosperity gospel. And I cannot say in strong enough terms that, that this is false. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say name it and claim it. Nowhere in the Bible it says, does it say, whatever you want out of life, just ask for it, and Jesus has promised that God will provide it. That is not true. That's not biblical, and you shouldn't listen to this kind of teaching. It's not what Jesus is saying here, and it's not what God has said anywhere in the Scriptures. See, God doesn't, often God doesn't give us what we ask for. And if we look at verses 9 and 10, I think we can find out why. Verse 9 and 10 says this, Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? The Lord Jesus is saying that it's important what we ask for in prayer. When the child asks for bread and fish, things that are nutritious and filling and wholesome, the child will get given those things. Like if, if Finley in the shop had asked for chicken and broccoli, then of course I would have bought it for him. And prayer is a bit like this too. Remember the context that Jesus is speaking in here? The Sermon on the Mount is all about our heart. It's about living our lives in the way of the kingdom. It's about having the same perspective on life as God, our Father. Everything about, the life, about life in the kingdom is about reordering our lives so that God is in his rightful place. That all wisdom, that all power, that all glory is given to him and none is kept for us. And prayer, our prayer life should reflect that. And when we pray in accordance to God's will then, he will gladly answer that prayer. James chapter four says, you do not have because you do not ask. Okay, so that's simple enough. You do not have, you, so maybe you're not asking. But the second part of that verse is that you, do, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. We ask for the wrong things. You see, not all prayers are pleasing to God. God doesn't want to give you your selfish desires. He wants us to seek first the kingdom. He wants us to have the right priorities when we pray. To put it simply, he wants us to pray that his will would be done, not ours. And this is the example of our Lord Jesus, isn't it? The night before he, he died in the garden, praying, he was so anxious about what lay before him that he was actually sweating blood. The stress that he was under, the capillaries in, in his forehead bursting and blood was coming through his skin. 
And he just asked his father, Father, if there's any way that I don't have to go through this, if there's any way that this can be taken away from them, please, please take it away from me, Lord. Let it not happen. But Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Jesus, our brother, our savior, our example, our redeemer, he humbles himself and and willingly submits to the will of the Father. There was nothing more important to Jesus than doing the Father's will, even when it meant going to be mocked and beaten and tortured and crucified. And he calls us to do the same. Lord, your will be done, not mine. Lord, you're God and I am not. You're infinitely wise and powerful and loving and good. You know know the best outcome of that situation. You know what I need far more than I do. Your will be done. And when we pray that God's will will be done, that's a prayer that he will answer every single time. When we pray in accordance to God's will, if we pray, Lord, your will be done, that's a prayer that the Lord's going to answer every single time. And so let me ask you this. That prayer that isn't being answered, are you praying in accordance with God's will? Are you submitting to him? Are you saying, Lord, you know I really want this situation to work out this way, but, but really, Lord, what I want is for you to have your way because you love me and you know me and your ways are far better than mine. I think a lot of the time God doesn't answer our prayers because we pray for the wrong things. And this is part of the persistence and waiting process we talked about earlier. Sam Storm's wonderful preacher says this. He says, persistence purifies our petitions. By repeating our prayer and by bearing it again and again before the throne of grace, we force ourselves to think and rethink the nature of our request and the purpose for which we desire to see it fulfilled. In other words, when we keep on asking and when we ask God to have his way, we start to see if what we're actually asking for is the right thing to ask for. So there's, no, there's nothing wrong with asking God. He's our Father. It's right and good that we should ask Him for whatever's on our hearts and minds. But in the midst of that, we need to ask, why do I want this thing that I'm asking for? Am I asking for the right thing? Am I asking for the right reasons? Because you know what? Imagine if God gave us everything that we ask for. I mean, think about it. How bad would your life be if you had gotten everything you've ever wanted? All the immature desires you've ever had things that would have made your life turn out totally wrong, things that might have even been harmful for you. And the illustration that Jesus gives, the child asks for, for, for bread and for fish, but imagine if the child actually asked for, for, for a stone and for a snake. Because our desires aren't always good, are they? It's actually for our benefit and our joy and our flourishing that God wants to ask, God wants us to ask for the right things. So what are these things? What do we ask for? Well, Jesus is talking about living a kingdom life, isn't he? And I think this is what we're to ask for. Don Carson puts it this way. He says, the kingdom of heaven requires poverty of spirit, purity of heart, truth, compassion, a non-retaliatory spirit, a life of integrity, and we lack all of these things then let us ask for them. 
Are you as holy, as meek, as truthful, as loving, as pure, as obedient to God as you would like to be? Then ask him for grace that these virtues may multiply in your life. Such asking when sincere and humble is already a step of repentance and faith, for it is an acknowledgement that the virtues the kingdom requires you do not possess, and that these same virtues only God can give. Moreover, I suspect that this asking, seeking, and knocking has a total package as its proper object. It is a wholehearted pursuit of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is what we're to pray for. You see, when we really and humbly and genuinely seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, then our prayers will reflect that. And it's those kinds of prayers that God will answer. A phrase I've been praying recently, and if you've been in one of our prayer times, you'll, you'll, you'll know this is, um, Lord, I need you to even need you. I need you to even need you. And it's true. Praying is hard. Praying in the right way is hard. We're all, we're all tired. We've all got sinful hearts and sinful desires, and, and we all get distracted, and we all see the world in the wrong way. And we need God's help to even need him in the right way. But the amazing thing is, we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit. This is what Pentecost Sunday is all about. The coming of the Holy Spirit to be with us, to dwell in us. Romans 8, Paul says this, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know what this means? It means that we're never alone. Church, this means that we're not the only one praying for us. God's Spirit is in us. And if we don't know what to pray or how to pray, then He takes over and He prays for us. He does, he, he, he does our praying in us and for us. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows what we need far better than we know. The Holy Spirit lives in us and He prays for us. And God always answers His prayers because He is God and He only prays in agreement with the Father's will. Isn't that an amazing thought? So don't let this stuff get you down. Be challenged. Being challenged is a good thing. Go away and think about your attitude. Yes, be challenged, but don't let it get you down. Don't let this put you off praying. Instead, be encouraged to pray all the more, knowing that God in His endless grace and, and mercy and love has made it so that we don't even pray on our own strength. How good is God to us? Amen. How good is God to us? And that brings me to my last point. We need to consider how we ask and what we ask for, but we also need to consider who we ask. Look at verse 11 with me. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, if even human fathers with all their flaws and failures and weaknesses know how to give good things to their kids, how much more, how much more does God, the original father, the infinitely good, the infinitely loving father, know how to give good things to his children? But the problem is, we don't always see God this way, do we? 
We sometimes think that God is unwilling to, to give us good things, don't we? Like we're trying to change his mind to treat us kindly. We have to try and convince us, convince him to treat us kindly. Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel like maybe God is angry and cross with you for failing to follow him this week or for failing to obey him and uh, and you think he's like some angry grandpa who, who just wants to uh, put you down and, and, and keep good things away from you? Or do you believe that God really wants to give you good things? Because we need to hear and believe and know and trust the truth this morning. You see, one of the things that Jesus repeats over and over and over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount is that God is our Father. We have a Father who loves us, loves nothing more than to bless us. He, his design for our lives is so that we would have joy. God wants you to have joy in the deepest sense of the word. The whole Sermon on the Mount is, is teaching us how to flourish and have life to the full. John, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that, that he came so that we can have life and, and life in all its fullness. James 1 verse 17 tells us that every good gift comes from the Father. That means that all the good things you have in your life, you have because God saw fit to give it to you. Your friends, your family, your health, the food on your table, all good things come from God. Listen, I need you to hear this, church. He is your Father, and He loves you. God loves you. And he just wants you to ask him for what you need. And it's his joy. It's his joy to provide it for you. Now listen. I know that maybe your dad wasn't the best, right? Maybe your dad, because earthly dads aren't always the best, are they? Even the good dads aren't perfect. Dads cheat and leave and die. But here's the thing. The difference between the worst dad in the world and the, and the best dad in the world is minuscule when compared to the difference between the best dad in the world and God our Father. God is so much better than even the very best dad that you can imagine that it makes the difference between a good dad and a bad dad next to nothing. And so matter, no matter how, what your experience of your earthly father is, it's far too low a view of what our heavenly father is like. You see, the problem is we tend to look at earthly dads and then use that to model what our heavenly father is like. But that's the wrong way around because, because we weren't made in, uh, he wasn't made in our image. We were made in his image. God is the original father and here's what he's like. He's infinitely strong. He's infinitely wise. He's infinitely good. And he's infinitely loving. And when you put all these things together, you get a picture of what your father is like. He is for you. He's not against you. He delights in you. I love putting our wee girl, Abigail, to bed. She's 18 months. And I love carrying her up the stairs every night when she's just about to fall asleep. Um... And I put her in a wee cot and I usually sing Jesus Loves Me. And then I just look at her for a second. And it just fills me with joy. Just to see her, just to, to be in her presence fills me with joy. 
And this is what God is like with us. How do I know? Because the Bible tells us. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you by his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. Maybe you need to be reminded of this this morning. Maybe you don't feel very close to God. Maybe you even feel that God isn't very happy with you. Well, the truth is your Father loves you. He takes great delight in you. He's so full of joy because of you that he bursts into song. This is the kind of daddy that our real father is. And when we see our father like this, it makes it so much easier to ask him for what we need, doesn't it? It makes it so much easier to share with him the desires and needs of our heart. And it makes it so much easier to say, Father, Daddy, your will be done, not mine. Because I know you love me. And I know you delight in me. And I know you only want good things for me. So your will be done, not mine. The final thought is this. If we, if, we, if we take this passage as a whole, it says that when we ask and seek and knock, when we pray like needy children looking to our heavenly Father who's trustworthy, uh, the, the, the promise is that He will hear us and that He will give us good things. And, and sometimes it's just what we asked. Sometimes just when we ask and sometimes just the way we ask. And other times He gives us something better. Or a time that he knows is better. Or a way that he knows is better. And of course this, this tests our faith, doesn't it? But here's the thing. We are not God. We are not infinitely strong. We are not infinitely wise. Or infinitely good. Or infinitely loving. But our Father is. He is so, so good. And he loves you so, so much. Let's pray.